I'm Neil. I'm Louise. And I'm Ronnie. I'm Daisy's dad. I'm Daisy's mum. And I'm Daisy's grandpa. In 2018, Daisy was diagnosed with regressive autism. She gradually lost all of her speech and began to show typical autistic traits. She'd spin in circles, avoid eye contact and make loud monotone noises. This was a huge shock. As up until this point, Daisy had been speaking in seven or eight word sentences. And had memorised pretty much 20 to 30 books. Since then, we've all been on a journey of discovery. In this podcast, we'll talk about that journey. And explore the impact autism has had on all of us. The lows. And the highs. This is the story of Daisy. And me. Episode 4, The Elephant in the Room. So we had a bad, we've had a bad run of nights, sleep-wise, mm. haven't we? Yeah. And I suppose when we talk about the elephant in the room, there's always something that you think and you possibly think you shouldn't say. And I remember, was it this week or it might have been the last time we had a bad run of nights? And I looked at you at like half two in the morning and I said, why has everything got to be such a challenge? Yeah. And, yeah. it, and I felt horrible afterwards for saying that. But it was, it was that frustration at that time of night. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get any sleep. Mm. Daisy's wired. She's also being ever so slightly violent. Mm. And you think, why, why has yeah. everything got to be such a challenge? Yeah, I think it's just that sort of last, it's your last straw, isn't it? When you get, especially when you're exhausted as well. And I think that sleep is a massive thing, isn't it? And you don't automatically think of sleep disorders when it comes to autism. No. But actually when you haven't slept and when Daisy's not sleeping, it really affects her and how she is. But it also has a massive effect on how you cope. And I think... Yeah, you're right. It just feels like everything sometimes is just a lot more hassle than it needs to be. Yeah. Which feel, and then it makes you feel really guilty for mm. saying that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, think I can understand that with the sleep. I, I, I find the, the, the challenge thing as well, because we had two... Uh, this week I had her on Tuesday and we had a great day, great morning. Uh, we went to the park and she was fully engaged and everything was funny and everything was happy. Uh, Wednesday, uh, she had a bad night and she was angry mm. and she was very... It, it was interesting as well, you just saying there about the fact that uh, she was ever so slightly violent, yeah. which is the first time we've actually talked about that yeah. side of her being frustrated enough uh, either to have a nip at you, even a bite, mm. or even uh, uh, biting herself yeah. with the yeah. frustration. Yeah. And um, uh, and that, that elephant in the room for me is, is that aspect that mm. will we be able to reach... That part, saying it's all right, just calm down. But you, yeah. you know, because we don't know what was the cause of that. Yeah. What was the cause of yeah. her being angry? Is it just she's mm. been overwhelmed when she was trying to sleep uh, with everything happening? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think a lot of the time with with the overnight violence, it's just because she wants to get up. Yeah. Um, and we don't let her out of her room because we ha- we've sort of got a rule, haven't we? That we. We've always been quite strict that she doesn't come out of her bedroom until a certain time, which is a an appropriate time of morning, yeah. which is generally five o'clock because that feels like which an appropriate got time earlier, to isn't us, it? isn't it? But it's uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite difficult, isn't it? I think. But just going back to that, why is everything such a challenge? And not mm. it's not an exclusive thing to parents of autistic children, and uh, mm. uh, you know you you would have had challenges as we were growing up. But I suppose that the only difference is the 
the severity of the challenge. Yeah. Because it's it's so much more acute in terms of what we've got to try and do, mm. how we've got to try and do it, and also the the obstacles in the way, and the main one being the lack of communication. Yeah, yeah. But I think as well, it's not even just... that. It's just everything, isn't it? All the things that... Like, for Daisy, Daisy's nearly five. Um, she... We haven't toilet trained yet, so we're trying to do that, and that's actually really difficult, and that's going to cause problems at mm. school. Um, even yesterday, we bought a new car seat, didn't we? And it was one that attaches to... It's a three-point seat belt, so it just uses your own car seat belt. And we were on a busy, fast road and she managed to get herself out of the seatbelt. And it's it is so frightening. But so we've had to go and buy another car seat, which has mm. got a five point harness. Most children her age, I mean, some might be doing that, but most wouldn't be because you'd be able to say to them, That's, it's really dangerous. You can't do that. But she doesn't get that. She just wants to get out of the car seat and be with you. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, well, we need to get attachment this week because mm. she, you know, um, for the, the car seat we've got. Can I just maybe go back then? You were saying that we have certain rules, and mm. you remember the, the thing we've learned. And we're grown up with Daisy. Mm. Do you think it's you know, again postulation here? But mm. do you think it's worthwhile revisiting the rules yeah. Um, yeah. and and saying you know you're saying that she has to stay in a room? Is it is it time for her to? I, I don't know. Mm. I, and this is not a criticism. I'm just asking. It's really difficult because we actually did seek advice um, from a specialist about the sleep, and actually that was the advice: is that she does with certain things she needs to know there are boundaries. So although she wants to get up, she she needs to sleep it's a safety thing as well if we're yeah. both working the next day and I've got to drive however many miles once she's up that's it she's downstairs she's playing she wants the telly on and actually it, it just feels like it's the wrong thing it's so hard you it never is, know whether you're doing the right thing yeah. but actually I know exactly what you mean because yeah. some days when she wakes up at four o'clock I think well I might as well just get up with her yeah. but it and could I'm be lucky two o'clock I, yeah, it could yeah. be two o'clock yeah. in the yeah, morning yeah. and that, that to me is just it's just not it doesn't feel appropriate and although yes we have to work around her if this we don't know whether it's a sort of um a, a sort of neurological thing whether she's not producing enough melatonin or whether it's a behavioral thing and it could be a mix of both but actually the behavioral stuff is the stuff that we can work on right. and that's why I think that when we saw this or spoke to this specialist OT they were there were some very clear rules about what you should right. or shouldn't be right. doing whether or not it's right I mean we're constantly constantly I questioning think, I think it, what we? we've done we it goes back to what we were saying in the first episode is we had very sort of not firm ideas, but we mm. had an idea of the kind of parents we were going to be yeah. and what we were going to do. I mean, all those rules have gone out the window <laughs> now. Yeah. Um, mm. But I think sleep is such a is such a mesh. Yeah. It, it's vital to our survival as well as hers. Because actually, she the other thing as well is if she's up at two o'clock in the morning, she's going to be wanting to eat or watch telly. Yeah. All of those things are not conducive to her mm. going back to sleep or developing a correct sleep pattern and we might never achieve that she might have sleep disorder for I think a lot of autistic children grow up to have ongoing sleep disorders mm. um but actually I, yeah I just don't know do, don't you, do know. you remember the early mornings with us uh yeah um but we because your, your mum uh, I was I was in the RAF and so your mum was f full-time mum at that time uh, so I would I would take we take shifts really, mm. yeah. um, which That's I I, I think we we you know so if you woke up early early doors, 
uh, somebody will go down like most I think mm-hmm. most parents will do yeah. and do and you know and then somebody you know the other person comes yeah. away and you go back to your bed and I think that's an issue as well is yeah. I was really pleased to hear you two saying you went to your bed at the same time as Daisy last night yeah, yeah. and I think I think that's something you need to yeah. to, to think you, about as you well because mm. you need to recharge you, you, yeah. you're not you're not any good if you're both knackered mm. You know, that, that's that's the bottom line. But, yeah. and again, Lou, uh, again, this whole, it, it can change every single half a day. Mm. Yeah. You know, you know and as we said last week, it's just a poor way. You know, yeah. Yeah. She, be, she can be feeling really rough. Has a, you know, she had a really good poo not so long ago as well. <laughs> I'm glad this is not smell-o-vision. But, you know, um, but, and, and suddenly... She's better and yeah. she's back yeah. with us and everything. And that's so the rules and everything yeah. is, is is it's variable from, from one hour to the next. I was actually thinking about that. You know that you the the phrase that is the title of this episode, the elephant in the room. When you think about that phrase, it is quite universal in what it is referring to. So yeah. if you walk into um, a, a business meeting and the guy's got a wig on, the elephant in the room is that big thing in the corner yeah. that no one's mentioning but is so visible and yeah. big. You start talking to the wig. You start yeah. talking to the wig. Um, with Daisy, and I don't know if this is general for autism, the elephant in the room can be a tiny little elephant, it could be a big elephant, it mm. could be something that doesn't resemble an elephant, it could be a whole herd of elephants. <laughs> yeah. there's, no, there's no universal thing that you go, right, okay, that's the thing we need to pinpoint. Mm. And that's what we need to change. And I think that's the challenge, isn't yeah. it? Is trying to identify whether it's an elephant. Or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, and, and uh, uh, Lou, uh, you and I are both, when we're out in company, uh, we're out in the park, Lou and I are first to say she's autistic. Yeah, I usually, I just land that for the people that are there. Mm. And usually, and uh, well, the vast majority of people have been lovely and go, oh, yeah, I thought I thought there was something. Yeah. yeah, I thought there was something, but we didn't say anything. Um, so we we do that. We address the elephant in the room, don't we, Lou, for, yeah. for other people. Oh, by the way, so, so we're building in that bounce, if you like. Yeah, Can I, I ask you why. both, though? How do you say it? Um, I, I think I need to get a wee bit of conversation going and then going, I, um, yeah, she's, she's got, I say it that way. She's, yeah. she's got autism. It's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because you do, and I think this isn't, any, this isn't a fault of anyone because I do it as well, mm. but I think there's something about autism when you're in public and the way that Daisy's acting. Mm. You almost apologise. Yeah, and I sort of almost feel like I want to get to a stage where I don't have to do yeah. that no. because actually you almost want to get to the point where you actually really don't care what people think because as long as Daisy's happy, mm. that's all That's all that should matter. But I can't quite Lou, I'm from Scotland. We have to think of what other people think. I'm from, <laughs> I'm from West of Scotland. That's how we're brought up. He's based his whole career on yeah. what yeah. other people think. It's, yeah. But it's not, again, I think we've said it before in one of the other episodes, it's not because I am apologising for her. No. It's about apologising in case something, maybe she does something to someone else's child. or And, mm. and again, I think for very selfish reasons, it comes back to how, th- how it reflects on me. So it's almost, uh, yeah. which is, it sounds awful, doesn't it? 
doesn't it? But it's because I want people to know that actually I'm a good mum and I'm just trying to do the best yeah. for Daisy. Mm. And Daisy's a lovely girl, but she might do things sometimes that aren't quite what yeah, other people or other children do. So it's is that there's a protectiveness about it in a way, I guess, isn't there? Well, the, the one thing that she's brought out of me, Daisy, is I, I you know, in public, I, I'm not a great, you know, um, I don't, it, it, well, I'm noisy. But mm. now with Daisy, I t I'm talking out loud all the yeah. time yeah. to her, yeah. Yeah. and so I'm 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 yeah. not as aware of other. I'm more aware of Daisy yeah. and yeah. engaging with her and 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 saying words and and good slide, oh yeah. good running, yeah. all that kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't really, I I, I suppose I'm shutting that off now because mm. I'm yeah. just concerned with Daisy. I think that's really interesting because I've been doing more of that, and actually I. Because I, I used to be a bit embarrassed about singing and stuff, but I sing to her now and she's on the swings. And I've started yeah. to, um, I think, because you can do a little bit of Makaton, even though she's not doing it, I try to do that when yeah. she's there. And I think actually other people will probably just see that and assume anyway. But yeah. in some ways that means I haven't got to have that conversation with other mm. people. Well, it's... I'm really lucky because I'm a good singer, Lou. Uh, <laughs> and of course you're not. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> big balloon. Bigger than the sun and moon, flying high in the sky, fly and fly and fly and fly. <laughs> Say hello, Daddy. Fly and fly and fly and fly. Um, can I just talk about one of the other big elephants in the room? And that's Christmas yeah. and birthdays. Yeah. We obviously, as a family, we have Ooh, good gatherings around. And yeah. obviously this year's been weird and completely different. Mm. But that thought of what Christmas was going to be versus yeah. what it became, yeah. it was quite a stark difference, wasn't it? I think when I first had Daisy and I can remember um, thinking about the first Christmas when she was a newborn and seeing family and just the magic of that and imagining what it was going to be like as she grew up, I just, I loved that feeling and actually we soon realised, didn't we, with her autism. And actually from an early age, Daisy's never been interested in opening presents, mm. which is it's just unheard of for children well, because like children that, love presents. It's so. like that year where... Uh, in the old house, we <laughs> yeah. we stacked up her presents and we'd gone mental, like overboard. I think we just wanted to and, spoil her, didn't and we? Stacked them up in the middle of the room, told her it was Christmas, took her downstairs, but we'd put, put an, an apple, apple on the top of the present. Apples. And the first thing she did was just walk over to the apple, start eating it, and then ask <laughs> and for the telly. Walked off. <laughs> just, the presents were just invisible because to her, they're not anything. They are just boxes. She can't, which is so. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, it's, we were saying. It's been funny because during lockdown, obviously, we've been receiving little brown parcels um, in the post books for her. Yeah. Um, so now, every time a brown Amazon package arrives, she thinks it's for her. So I said, in future, yeah. we'll just put all of her presents <laughs> in Amazon boxes. Yeah. But, but I mean, all joking aside, it is, it is. I think that bit of it is really, really difficult. I find that one of the saddest yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and she did. I think there was a little bit of enjoyment about Christmas last year. We took her to see. Um, we Santa. did Santa's Grotto, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. Mm. And she yeah, was she interested it. for the. I think that was the first year. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I think for me, all of those magical things that you imagine when you have children, so things like the Tooth Fairy Easter, all of those things are the bit that I probably struggle with quite a lot. And I think I'm getting better, but it's just meant we've had to adapt, haven't we? When we when we've got celebrations, we have to be mindful of the fact that she's quite overwhelmed sometimes by lots of people or lights or, um, and we've sort of said, haven't we, we will just do whatever we can to ensure we enjoy Christmas, but adapt it Mm -hmm. so that Daisy does as well. But, but yeah, it's hard. Can I introduce uh, one and it goes to the, being a grandparent as well is, uh, you know, when you say, how was she? And you always kind of, you know, as a grandparent, mm. you always say, oh, yeah, they were fine, fine. I, I'm, I, I initially, I wasn't telling you everything in terms of yeah. how yeah. she was because you both were at work. It was when you were working. Yeah. At, and, and so you didn't need to know that. Um, and But I think I'm, I'm more honest with you now. Yeah. yeah. I'm honest about, and I can say, because I found Wednesday um, really hard yeah. um, as, a, as a granddad because yeah. she would, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't getting her in the room yeah. and I found that really hard. And I found it hard um, yeah. because a double whammy, I've got to put her back to you guys and I worry yeah. about you having mm. her in that, that mood. Um, so I'm more honest in, sh- in sharing yeah. exactly how she is. Mm. You know. It's re- mum. It's funny because mum was saying when because we went home, didn't we? Was it last weekend? Yeah. Um, and actually, mum and I were talking about how with Daisy, it's really, really difficult to to know what to do with her. So I want to. I loved crafts and things when I was little. I want to sit and do crafts or play doh or bake with her. And you can't do any of those things. You can't sit and play with toys in the same way. We went through a spell with puzzles a little while ago, oh, didn't yeah, we? Yeah. But actually what she wants to do is eat mm-hmm. or watch telly. So the only thing you can do with her is to get her out of the house. So the yeah. bouncy castle place, the park, all of those things. But sometimes you just want to be at home with her mm. and feel like you're doing something worthwhile or keeping her happy. And it's uh, it's really, really hard mm. to do that. And I think mum, mum was very aware of that when we were home as yeah. well because it just feels like sometimes... It's not that you're ignoring her, it's just that when you try and do things... There's only so much you can do, yeah. so you yeah. sort of have to let her do her thing, and that it sometimes feels a bit. What's weird about Daisy is that if if you if you looked at her in a snapshot, if you came in for 45 minutes into the yeah. house, you think, oh, she's busy. Yeah, because or she's, she, she she's just well behaved because she's just and, sitting with her tablet, sort of, or she'll watch a bit of tablet, she'll put it down, mm. and she'll go and have a little potter around here and there and whatever. But when that's all she does. Yeah. yeah, all day. And yeah. from sort of, well, if you come downstairs at five o'clock in the morning, yeah. I mean, it would be two o'clock if she had her way, mm. but from five o'clock in the morning until eight o'clock, she goes to sleep at eight. That's yeah. And then you get the subsequent day. guilt yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're doing enough, uh, you know. Yeah. And, but again, I go back to what Mike Green was saying to us. Don't be so hard on yourselves. Yeah. We shouldn't mm. be. It's, we're, we're doing, you, you said there, so we're only trying to make her happy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I think we do. Yeah. I think we do. Um, I don't think um, you know. You do. You don't get the. You get a lot. A lot of custard pies. Mm. Yeah. You, know, you get a lot of custard pies from. She's. No, I don't want that. I don't mm. want that. Yeah. And then, but then you get the wee moments. There was. There was a time uh, on on Wednesday when she was having a bit of a day, and you know she wants to nip upstairs with her iPad. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So I got her some cucumber, uh, and a pot and a thingy, and then she got her iPad. And then she walked from the kitchen room and I was sitting on the couch and she engaged my eyes all the way around as she made her way to the door. All right. And looked me, just looked, kept on looking, going, I'm going upstairs. <laughs> I'm going upstairs. I don't care what you do. 
I've got my cucumber, I've got my iPad, I'm gone. <laughs> and then I just want, and one of the things we've all agreed is, let her go upstairs. Yeah. You know, I usually follow yeah. her up, and and you know that. So, it, and it's that yeah. you forget that that's making her happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just remember though, as well. You say that you feel guilty giving her back. And I completely get that because you know I've I we get the guilt either mm. way if one of us goes out and does yeah. whatever. You're giving us three hours. I know, yeah. I know. Where yeah. Yeah. we can get, get stuff work. done. Yeah. It's so to it's, work, isn't it's, it? it's huge mm. anyway because it you know otherwise I wouldn't well, get anything done. No, I, I, yeah, and I I I love my three hours and I look forward to my three hours and mm. the lockdown was the toughest time for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and not seeing the grandkids uh, as well. So, you know, that that elephant in the room, I mean, we could talk about the elephants in the room. Yeah. Uh, you know, cuz there, there's loads, but I think mm. the whole uh, declaring it to the general public. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, being uh, louder and being aware that you know that you're maybe not you're doing your best. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's enough. Yeah. Right, time for our guest today. Tell me a bit more about our guest now. So Kristen Pazic is uh, an ambassador for Ells for Autism, which is Ernie Ells, the golfer, his charity that he runs with his wife, Liesl. We mentioned Liesl a few times in yeah. the uh, in the interview. Um, uh, Kristen is an uh, ambassador. She's on the UK board and her son, Alexander, is eight and has autism. Should also mention that her husband is Andrei Shevchenko, yeah. who's the former Chelsea, AC Milan and uh, Ukraine striker. Here's Kristen. Can we just talk about, because uh, the theme for this podcast, uh, this the edition will be, Kristen, will be probably about the elephant in the room. Um, actually, that moment when you you realise something isn't quite right and how you approach that. Tell me about that moment for you and your family. Okay, so um, for our family, we we have quite a few languages going on in our household. So my husband's first language is Russian and um, we met in Italy, so we, we speak Italian together. And um, then obviously my first language being English and we live in the UK. Um, so with our first two children, we didn't um, actually speak uh, the other languages with them. And when Alexander... Um, um, our seven-year-old who has been diagnosed with autism um, was born, we, we kind of made a pact that we were going to speak with him in, in you know, the different languages. So um, we spoke very little English to him. Obviously, he was in his natural environment. He had a lot of English around him. But, uh, you know, we were kind of on this um, uh, objective and going towards the objective of, of having him be the first child to speak, um, uh, be multilingual. Now, I would say at around 18 months, um, I had Alexander, uh, we were in on holiday um, in Antigua. And I remember specifically, he was swimming next to a little girl who was right about his age. And, you know, she was having a full on conversation with him, but he wasn't responding and he wasn't really using... Um, you know, um, full sentences. And the mother said to me, um, have you had him 
evaluated. Um, and I just kind of thought in my head, uh, I, I, I blew it off at that moment because I thought that it might be down to the fact that we weren't speaking a lot of English to him. Um, um, and my mother, who is in child development, um, was with us all the time. And she as well hadn't, hadn't noticed anything um, that would be out of the ordinary uh, with him up until this point. So we decided to stop speaking the other languages and solely speak English to him. Um, but his vocabulary never really went beyond the three words. And um, he started to do a lot of, uh, which, I, which I heard in, the, in your previous podcast um, with your daughter and, and granddaughter. Um, he started to do a lot of pointing. And when he wanted something, he would take my hand and bring me up to let's say if it was the refrigerator or um, you know for food or or to a toy that he wanted to me to give to him, and um, in the beginning I thought it was cute. It was you know it was sweet. Your little toddler is coming up to you, you know, just bringing you to a place um, and and asking you for something. And I um, then I did start to realize once this mother pointed out to me, and, and I actually heard her daughter speaking. Um, I thought, hmm, you know, and I just kept a, an eye on it. Um, and it, he, it, it kind of stayed that way where he wasn't, even though I was encouraging him to speak and use full sentences, he, he wasn't doing it. He was still on his, you know, his, his very select vocabulary words and um, very frustrated all the time. And, and, um, at this point I realized I might need to bring him in, um, to, to get a diagnosis. Um, so that's when it all started for me. So Kristen, you mentioned there in, uh, in your answer about the fact that you weren't necessarily kind of denying the fact that there may have been an issue and, and, and myself and my wife, found exactly the same is that we weren't necessarily denying but we were just I don't know maybe we were just a bit sort of blind to it because you don't expect it when when that happened and you got into the system were you in were you in this country at that point or were you elsewhere I was we were here in the UK mm. and um I actually interestingly enough that you're you know you asked me about my whereabouts I I um I'm from the United States and um, I'm actually one of my best friends works with children with autism um, in California. Mm -hmm. And so I actually grew up as a teenager in my early 20s and I was um, um, introduced and exposed to autism. And um, I, like you say, um, was I denial? I don't think I was ever in denial about it. I was um, hesitant at first because there weren't, I feel like autism um, still to this day, it's not really understood. And even families that have children with autism, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around the vastness of it. Um, and how it individually affects every single person, you know, that has autism. Um, it's so unique. So um, I started to research 
at that point, even to try and find who to bring him to. And this was about, so he's seven now, and this was when he was two, two and a half. I was so overwhelmed with the lack of information that was available, even a few years ago. Um, it was like searching for a needle in a haystack. You know, you couldn't, you didn't know where to start. You, I didn't know, um, also not being British, I, I didn't know what was available here, or what the system was like. Um, and my friend actually in the United States was forwarding me links of who I needed to go see. And um, But if I did not have her, I would have been really lost. And so actually one of my main goals um, and and with, with the Ells Foundation um, is to um, make information and um, everything that a child with autism or a young adult with autism or anybody needs to access to have that just readily available where you don't have to, families don't have to be, you know, scrabbling to find out how they can help their child. The the vastness you talk there as well, if what, what's uh, I've learned from it as well, Chris, it's just the, you know, uh, the, there is certain patterns uh, for the children. You know, the, when you're talking about the fridge there and pointing to the fridge and and, and, and pointing for food, you know, Neil and I were just looking, going, "This, this is just Daisy." Um, what what really kind of blows my mind when I'm looking after is, is I can be doing something one day and it hits a spot. It's great. She's loving it, and then the next day. I could do the same and it's completely different. And, and and other people outside of the autistic family don't quite get that. You know, they don't quite understand, well, she likes that way, she likes that book. Well, she liked the book yesterday or half an hour ago, but she doesn't know. How did you cope with that aspect? That is quite, that's, that's quite a tough aspect of it, isn't it, I think? Um, you don't, so my Alexander, um, you're... Your your Daisy is she's foreign, is that right? Yes. Now? Yeah. She's yes. foreign. So I remember Alexander being four. And um I I was uh I, I think at that early stage you're 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 so overwhelmed. And like you guys have talked about a lot on the podcast is how you you know you go through guilt, like what did I do wrong? What could I have done? Um, you know, being a mother carrying the child, did I do something wrong when I was pregnant? Um so you, you know as you're trying to help your child at the same time, you're dealing with all these emotions and you're watching them at the same time and trying to figure out what they like and what they're responding to the most. Um, and I, I found it to be very, very difficult because he, at that young age, you're, you're not quite sure exactly what their interests are and maybe what, uh, how to, you know, to communicate with them. Um, Alexander had very few words, but um, what I would love to share with you guys at, at, at some point is he's now, his vocabulary has grown. Uh, you know, it's, it's, he, I have full on conversations with him now, which I never would have thought would have happened when he was four. Um, and you're, I think the worry that that won't happen. Um, it, you have to get over that and you just have to keep going. And like you said, you find a book one day that Daisy might like, but the next day she doesn't. Um, and you don't know what, what's in her head that day, what, what, 
you know, what is what she's going to respond to that day. And it's hard for her to communicate that to you. Um, yes, I did. I did find that extremely difficult and you just have to keep, you know, you just have to keep going and it's, it's this amazing journey with them. And, um, once you find what their passions are and, and then I, I find that after I knew what Alexander's passions were, he was, we did everything through that, through those passions. So he loves airplanes. He loves anything with that has to do with machinery. Um, so we started to really talk to him um, using those areas of interest. And that is how his speech and vocabulary have grown. Um, I mean, I, I can't believe it sometimes when I'm listening to him speak. That That's so lovely to hear um, because obviously we're going through it at this point and Daisy's, I see, I guess uh, dad, I'm probably right in saying this, you get the odd word here and then again is something, sometimes she'll say something that sounds like daddy, something that sounds like mummy. Um, should just say at this point, the, the common theme that you've got uh, in your work with the um, Els for Autism Foundation, the common theme that you've got with uh, with Liesl is that your husbands are both athletes and, um, off, you know, the time where um, Alexander would have been going through the diagnosis and everything, your husband was still playing football on a, a massive uh, scale, you know, uh, often in European countries and whatever. How did you find managing those two different scenarios as a family it that was very difficult he was he he actually finished his football career in 2012 which is when alexander was born but then he went into politics for a brief stunt so it was away from the family for a bit and um you know going back and forth and working all the time now alexander was was completely fine in my opinion he seemed he seemed neurotypical all the way up until um, this one, you know, um, instance when he when he fell ill and it just it, it seemed to just set off a, a chain reaction in him. Um, now, Andre, my husband, has been amazing with Alexander and he's um, noticing his potential is one of um, my husband's greatest gifts. So um He's been very open-minded and I'm, I, I would say, you know, because having a child with autism or with any, with any developmental delay or condition or disease can put a lot of strain on a relationship or on a family. Um, I, 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 I do feel quite lucky and, and, and I know um, um, Liesl feels the same way. I, I won't speak for her, but um, I, I, I think together we knew what we had to do and it was just whatever had to be done for Alexander had to be done. And then I was, I have another three children. So I was very aware and, and, and not leaving them out and keeping them in the process. And, um, there, they've always been very curious and, and very involved in, in Alexander's growth, daily growth. Yeah. That's an interesting one as well. Um, my one of the reasons I wanted to do this, Chris, was to, is to because um, we're lucky we're 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 not you know, we're not rich or anything, but we're okay. We, we're okay financially and everything. And I worry about the parents, uh, single parents, 
that are not in the position of that and and what kind of resources are there for them because you know are they getting help is that single mother that single father uh, you know when when you spend the day with Daisy it's a full on shift you know you've mm-hmm. done you you've been up and had, and I really worry about that aspect and uh, I want to talk about the foundation and uh, is that mm-hmm. what they're addressing as well Yes, I think at the moment, um, so uh, Liesl and and Ernie uh, left the UK to go over to the US um, primarily for their son um, because they didn't feel there was enough available in the UK. And in America, I'm not saying they've mastered autism or anything over in in the US. It's definitely an ongoing global, um, you know, um, goal to, to help anybody with, um, with the, the condition. But like you say, there's not these, these parents and, um, that are either single parents or might not have the resources to help their children at the moment. I, it's, I, I mean, that honestly, even to think about that for me mm. is, is just heart wrenching because, you know, it is like you say, it's a, it's a full-time job. You, and you know, you, you need, you need to be with these, these children every, every second, because, um, what at one instance can lead, if you're there, you know, you, you can either aid in, in, in growth that, um, that maybe something happens and it could trigger growth or it could, it could trigger regression and, and you want to always be there and parents can't. Um, and I, I, for example, we don't, I don't have my extended family over here. So my mom and dad are in the U S Andre's parents are in the Ukraine and you know, that extended family unit is also very important that, you know, maybe not a lot of people have as well. Mm-hmm. So support, I know the foundation in America right now is, I mean, the the resources that they have available in Florida are you you can't compare them to anywhere else in the world at the moment, in my opinion. Um, and but not everybody's in Florida, so um, I think that now with our UK board, we want to try and reach that over here um, to the UK. What they've built in the US to bring it over here. Um, that is my goal. I know Liesl is um, um, full 100% over there and, and, and they're still adding on many different, uh, you know, they've just opened facilities for young adults. Um, they're growing nonstop. So I think that, you know, we're, it will be a s- slower process over here, but we'd love to achieve that over here as well. Um, where you can find a diagnosis, you know right where to go, and it's all inclusive. Your your child gets diagnosed. Um, you can see an integrative health therapist for you know an OT, the speech, um, the ABA, which they're now calling you know PBS, the Positive Behavior Support, where you can get it all in one package, and you don't have to be constantly going you know, one hour away for this or two hours away for that. And I think it's so important for families to be able to have everything in one place. So that is what we would love to to eventually achieve over here as well. 
I think it's so interesting you say that, Kristen, because we found ourselves in a position, um, we found it difficult to, A, get the health visitor on board, um, to B, uh, find an OT or even find any any help. What, what the uh, sort of breaking point for us in terms of trying to get, because da- Daisy's biggest issue is speech. So trying to get her speech back on board, um, we didn't know what to do. We found uh, an independent play specialist uh, through um, through some friends, uh, and she's been revelatory in terms of getting Daisy into. Uh, she wrote her EHCP basically. She um, she's got us on board with AAC communication, which Daisy's excelling at. For you during that period of time with Alexander, did you find the same in terms of? you didn't know where to go and it wasn't available. Funny enough, I, yes, I, I exactly, that's exactly, I was um, lost. And like I said, I had to pull my friend who lives in California in the U S in to help me out um, almost to guide me in where to go for Alexander um, from OT to sensory to ABA or PBS to speech therapy, everything. Um, and, and there's so much, there's, there's so much out there, but at the same time, there's not a place and a, a, a information, almost like a package where you can go and have everything laid out for you. This is when I was dealing with Alexander. Now I do believe that there are the charities over here have really stepped up and offer more information and um, hopefully can guide parents um, better than from when I was dealing with Alexander, you know, four years ago. Uh, We're coming close to running out of time. And and I always find, uh, you know, one of the great things I've found with this, um, doing the podcast is speaking to people yourself. I kind of get really moved. because I get inspiration, and I think with all the family, with the guests we've had, have given, given us a lot of hope, and and, yeah. and you know keep keep on going. And I think hope is is so crucial, and so thank you for doing it. But I, I just wanted to ask a nitty gritty: what what is your feeling about uh, mainstream education as opposed to special needs education? Where do you stand on that one, Christine? Um. Well, I. We have Alexander in a mainstream school. Um, he has one-to-one support all day um, within the mainstream classroom. That, you know, saying that, we did have to fight the school on allowing him to stay there. Um, now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying, I would never, as a parent, I don't think anybody would want their child to be in an environment that wasn't conducive to their growth or, or helpful and uh, that, you know, that wasn't a positive environment for our children. Uh, you do, um, unfortunately, you know, parents with children with autism and other conditions have to, you know, where we have to always advocate where they're basically in their, in their corner, the only ones in their corner, we have to constantly fight for them. So there's, a, there's, there's definitely not a lot out there, and not enough, I would say. Um, there's either schools for children that have very severe autism or uh, schools that um, approach perhaps 
maybe children with um, that struggle from, let's say it's ADHD or, um, or even um, dyslexia and a bunch of other learning, um, learning disabilities, um, there's not enough out there for, the ch for, for children that could be in mainstream, but at the same time need the extra support. So um, uh, for Alexander, he's, for my son, my experiences, he's um, very comfortable in a mainstream situation and it's better for him um, because our, our children with autism will, will imitate their peers. So um, if Alexander sees, you know, children following rules and standing in line and hanging up their coat, he will do that. Um, if he's around children that will not, he will not do it. It's very, you know, it's, he, he's a, he's a bit of a parrot. So for me as a parent, I, he, he, he would, he definitely grows in a mainstream situation, but do they have enough in place for them? I don't think so. I think that there needs to be more offered more where a child with autism can go to mainstream, but if they need to step out and go to some OT or speech therapy when, when it's needed, uh, there needs to be more flexibility um, and, and perhaps even just more schools that are available for children with autism at different levels. Because like, like we all know, autism hits every individual and in a unique way. Um, uh, last one uh, uh, before we let you go. Um, I've asked a few uh, guests before on this podcast if you could change one thing about the world regarding autism, what would it be? What would it be for you? I would. I would say it would be. It would be definitely um, understanding autism. I think that people are very afraid when they hear the word autism and very unsure. So. Um, um, you know, I, I remember in the beginning feeling that Alexander was always going to be judged if I were to tell somebody that he had autism, that they were going to automatically have this stigma or, you know, this view of what he was going to be like, you know, because people think about autism and, and sometimes just think about um, a child that's out of control or, or throwing tantrums or, and yes, I mean, this is maybe a, a, a small part of it that might come from frustration, but that actually these these children are phenomenal and, and adults and young adults and, you know, they're phenomenal. They have so much to offer. And so I think it's just more maybe understanding autism and, and how uh, even a person that might seem neurotypical might be autistic, but, you know, to take the, the stigma away from it that it's um, be more accepting of of the condition i think and 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 not fight it but to be more inclusive of what these individuals need to succeed in society um christian thank you so much uh really oh, mean you're it. So welcome. uh chuffed to bits i've learned a lot again every interview i'm doing now i'm learning so much and it's and it's just it's reinforcing as i said the hope but also reinforcing the uh don't give up in the sense of you know yeah. fighting the system as it were you know uh, we've got to do the best we can and we've got to support other autistic families or, or families with autism and, and, and other uh, conditions like that so uh, you're giving us more muscle thank you very much
Yeah, oh, you're so, so welcome. Much. And can I just add, I mean, can I thank, thank you guys very much. I really appreciate being on. Um, and can I just say outside of it, um, I've listened to the other podcasts and um, I, it's amazing being a grandparent, how involved you are. And I know my parents really, really contribute to Alexander's growth. And so it's fantastic how involved I think you are in, and I'm sure your, 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 your children and your, I don't know if you are dad's dad or mom's dad, but um, that it just the extended family support is so important. And, and Daisy, I did hear the little clips of her in one of the podcasts. She does sound so much my, like my Alexander. Mm. And just, I, I just wouldn't, you know, don't worry. She's going to be fine. And I think even if you need to use um, like sign, even start teaching her sign language a little bit or to where she can communicate so she's not frustrated, but the speech will come. And um, you're just going to discover this whole little person. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's so amazing, actually. That's so kind of you to say, um, because you you know that's the biggest fear is is that the speech will never come back. But one of the things that we're hearing from our guests is that actually, if you just kind of get through that hard bit, then you know you find out that it is coming back. Um, so it, it fills me with hope. Yeah, fantastic. Well, great. Hope is hope is a great thing to have. But yeah, she's just the gates will open one day and stuff will come flooding out. <laughs> So it's interesting because Kristen said her son's now eight and they're beginning to talk again yeah. uh, and sort of have conversations. We say at every interview we have, it gives you a little bit of hope. Yeah. Because yeah. the truth is, you know, the biggest elephant in the room, we don't know if she's going to talk yeah. again. Yeah. But actually hearing other people and talking to other people who have similar yeah. stories... I mean, the the similarity in their stories yeah. was amazing. 18 months and Alexander yeah. got yeah. ill. Yeah. Daisy was Daisy ill. Daisy was ill at two. two-ish. Yeah. And yeah. then all fell away. And, yeah. you know, it's, it, ju it's just nice hearing similar stories. Yeah, it, mm. it is. It definitely. And also, uh, you know, we see it every time. And we hope for any anybody else listening to this who's, who's got a child who's autistic, uh, that hope is what, we are all living with mm. and we hope you are as well because that's why we're essentially doing it and not yeah. just for ourselves but um but for you as well uh before we go let's do our three things uh daisy did this week that cheered us up what do we, what do we want to go lou you go first should i go first you know it's really funny because as we were talking i remembered something else but i know i always do too don't i i'm a bit yeah, greedy because so <laughs> she keeps me so happy so um it's it's actually around one topic it's the knowingness at the moment so there is a knowingness about <laughs> her and a cheekiness so and it, that comes back to engagement I guess so first of all this morning um I went into the bathroom she was in bed in our bed and I came out and she just did her Makaton sign for more and I was like more what <laughs> and sometimes she does a Makaton sign for the wrong thing because she's only got a few that she knows basically what she was saying was yes please I want you to get in bed because I want to give you a cuddle and then she sniffed my armpit because that's the latest <laughs> thing <laughs> But just going back to the knowingness, the other day I was sitting, just watching her in the kitchen. She opened the freezer door because she's taken to getting the ice yes. out. 
but instead of the ice, I could just hear the rustling of the ice cream packets. So I just looked at it and then I just saw this glance above the top of the freezer door. She looked sideways at me and I just said, no, put it back. And she smiled, put it back and shut the door and came walking out. I was like, you monkey. Um, my, mine this week was, um, and you know, I have a thing, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have a thing about pens and paper. I cannot, uh, I need to, I need to finish it. I've, I've, I've got a notepad. I need to finish a page. I can't leave a page and start a new page. Yeah. And I need the pens for the day. I have a different pen. <laughs> and I realised that Daisy has picked up a wee bit of that OCD yeah. as well. And uh, she has a thing about her clothes, as we know. That sometimes the clothes don't quite right. Yeah. But unfortunately, this week, I uh, changed her nappy and I put her trousers inside her socks. Well... Uh, that just wasn't right, you know. <laughs> and it was just a wee bit. It was just a wee bit in the back of her. And yeah. it, but this was she kept on looking at this, and I had done it. The other one was fine. I'd done it wrong, and she kept on looking at me and going, "What? What? What's this? Thing? <laughs> <laughs> how, how long have you actually been doing this, Grandpa? Come on, get it sorted." And I said, "Okay, they did it. This I sorted, and it was fine. So yeah. it just made me laugh." It's funny. Um, I was going to say about because we went to the bouncy castle mm. place. Um, Yesterday, it's just a big warehouse um, full of bouncy castles, which Daisy absolutely yeah. loves. Um, and it was it was lovely just seeing her back in that environment. Yeah. But actually, you just you just made her remember one of the funniest things she does at the moment, and it's horrible for you, but I, it just makes me laugh when she smells your armpit because <laughs> she just she just forces your arm up. She holds my arm up, doesn't and she? Then and gets gives right it a in good there. old sniff. <laughs> And I, don't I just know if it's think a good or a bad it doesn't sign. matter. It doesn't matter if it's pre-shower or post-shower. <laughs> she gets something different from it every time. Yes. It just makes me laugh. Well, on that note, uh, we, we better leave it. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can uh, get in touch with via email or on on Twitter as well. Yeah, it's Daisy and Me Podcast at gmail and at Daisy and Me Pod. And if there's anything you want us to discuss uh, on the podcast as well, something that's concerning you as a parent of an autistic child or whatever, then uh, get in touch with us. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.